You're listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. We just wanted to share a quick note before we start this episode. As we've gone back through and listened to our worship services in their entirety, we felt that there are particular moments that are especially helpful or meaningful and resonant. So we decided that instead of just posting the sermons, we'll also start to include various aspects of our liturgy that we'd love to share with you here as they come up. This past week, we took some time to lament the sixth anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting. It was the second deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history, and it occurred in a gay nightclub just hours from our hometown. We did this by way of a confessional prayer that was written by Josh Proctor and led by Christian Johnston, both beloved members of our community and of the LGBTQ community. It was a powerful time of prayer, and we wanted to make sure that you were able to revisit that moment. And if you weren't with us on Sunday, we wanted to share these beautiful, convicting words from Josh and Christian with you as well. Thank you both, Josh and Christian, for leading us with such vulnerability. To learn more about Josh's work in this space, please check out his podcast, Life on Side B where he continues to have much-needed and eye-opening conversations about the intersection of faith and sexuality. Have a blessed day, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, hello everyone. My name is Christian. Uh, I'm a member here at Providencia. Tonight, I'm bringing you a difficult confession Um, Tonight is the, well not tonight, but today is the sixth anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting, which took place in Orlando, Florida. Um, Some of you may not know, but Pulse was a gay club located in Orlando. And for the queer community, uh, this is a really traumatic event. Um, For obvious reasons, you had people that died and many that were injured. Those things are traumatic in themselves enough. Uh, But for many of us, Our community is not often in safe spaces, and uh, we often have to create our own safe spaces. And so that might be a nightclub or it might be a bar. And for someone to walk into that that safe space and to destroy that uh, is traumatic. So tonight, we as a church, we're going to take a moment of confession to hold space with our LGBT loved ones and confess the ways that we as Christians have often mistreated LGBT people. So with this confession, I will be reading um, it entirely. However, there will also be sections in bold that you are welcome to read along with me um, out loud or, you know, in your own way. 
We remember, we remember today the 49 lost at the Pulse nightclub shooting, and we place into your tender hands the families and friends who lost their loved ones. God who remembers, hear their cries. We remember the 53 people wounded and the global queer community who collectively felt that moment in their bodies. God who heals, touch their hearts. We confess the way that we as Christians have hurt, disregarded, or offended LGBTQ people. God who restores, forgive our wrongs. Grant us the strength as Christ followers to honor you by standing against the victimization of the marginalized. God who brings justice, build our courage. Help us embody your truth as we love, protect, care for, and serve others made in your image. God who creates, mold our hearts. Even in the midst of despair and confusion, may we always know that you are near, and may we ever know the joy of being in relationship with you. God who is ever-present, abide within us. And the assurance, of course, confession's not complete without assurance. Tonight's coming from Micah 6.8, which says, The Lord has shown you what is good. He has told you what he requires of you. You must act with justice. You must love to show mercy, and you must be humble as you live in the sight of your God. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight's scripture reading comes from Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, everyone. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Providencia, and it's a joy to be with you tonight. Um, there's nothing I have to say tonight that hasn't already been sung and preached by Caitlin in that song, Come and Rest, or by David Urbanati's violin, but I hope you'll stick with me for a few minutes. We want to talk about recovering rest tonight. Sometimes you preach to the choir, and sometimes you preach to yourself. It's interesting to me when I have to do the latter. We're beginning a series of sermons as part of a season of rest, a summer of rest. As we enter what we call in the church calendar ordinary time. It's the time between Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday, and Advent coming in December. Ordinary time. And we want to start by thinking about the theme of rest, and I am preaching to myself. For the next few weeks, we're going to draw on some themes 
and ideas from a, a book that we've mentioned several times before by Rich Viotas. It's called The Deeply Formed Life. In that book, one of the practices that Rich encourages us to try is contemplation or meditation. Meditation that is centered on God and centers us in God, brings us closer to God as we wait on God, trusting that God meets us even in the silence as we try to rest. But the trouble is that an attempt at this kind of contemplation, meditation, often looks like this for me. I set a timer, five minutes. I close my eyes. Jesus, give me rest. Give us rest. Practicing communal language because I'm still selfish, self-centered, spending time in the quiet when I could be reading, writing, playing, sleeping. But I read somewhere, sleep isn't rest. So Jesus, give me rest. That detour wasn't long, but the next one probably will be because there are sermons to write and emails to send and plans to make and the time is short and it is not my own. But the longer I spend, the further and farther I slip down tangents and into corners, the shadows of ideas dead on arrival because I'm supposed to be resting. Oh, right. Jesus, give me rest. Rest, resting, restless. Matthew 11, Genesis 1, Exodus 20. Hearts are restless until they find rest in God. Is that Augustine or C.S. Lewis? It would be easier to rest in God with a professorship at Oxford and no wife and kids and a housekeeper and cook. Actually, it wouldn't. Not when there is this labyrinth to get lost in, when every turn reveals three more, and in the end, each is a dead end. I think it was Augustine anyway, and I'm sorry for defaming Professor Lewis. They both had their restlessness, pear trees, and problems of pain. Surely it has been five minutes but I won't be resting if I look, and I won't rest until I look. Have I rested even for a few seconds? I looked. Two minutes. Oh, Jesus, give me rest. Like I said, I'm preaching to myself, but maybe you hear yourself a little bit in these words too. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Since Jesus said it 2,000 years ago and it resonates with me every time I read that passage, I have to assume that people have been weary and burdened for a very long time. There's comfort and despair in that. But it goes back a lot further 
than Jesus' words recorded in Matthew. Jesus' invitation to rest is grounded in a creation story of life abundant where we find a God who rests. It's grounded in a covenant story of liberation where we find a God who commands rest. It comes to fruition in a story of redemption where we find a God-made man and walking among us whose striving alone can bid striving cease. It is rest received. And this is my first problem. I know I need rest, so I put it on a list, try to check it off. I turn it into a prize earned rather than a gift given. We have to receive rest instead of working for it because rest is built into the rhythm of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be a separation. And God said, let there be dry ground. And God said, let the land produce vegetation. And God said, let there be lights in the sky. And God said, let the water teem. And God said, let the land produce creatures. And God said, let us make humankind. And God said to the human, I give you. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It's right there in the poetics of the creation story, built right into the rhythm of creation, is rest. God rests. And I can't help but think it's a certain form of idolatry for us to refuse rest. It's a certain form of self-deification, of trying to be God-like by refusing the need to rest. but we'll come back to that in a minute. It's not just that God rests in the creation story. God also puts the need for rest into all created things. It's a question that may not occur to us as adults, but it occurs to children. It's why do we need to sleep? Why do we need to sleep? My kids have asked this before bedtime, and my answer is usually because I need a break. So you need to sleep. Can I get an amen, Taylor? But really the answer is because that's how we were created. God built sleep, rest, into who we are. Humans need rest. Animals need rest. Plants need rest. The land needs rest. It's part of who we are. And when we refuse to rest, our bodies rebel against us. Anyone who's ever had to endure an all-night shift at work, anyone who's ever stayed up all night by the bedside of a loved one in the hospital, 
anyone who's ever procrastinated on that college research paper knows that you can go a night without sleep, maybe two, but your mind and your body will start to rebel against you. Even knowing all this, we still resist rest. Part of it's because our culture sees rest as something that we can only do when we have nothing left to give. When you're at the end of your rope, when you can't go on, that's when you can rest. We could take an illustration of this from the movies. Now, I often reference movies that no one's seen. So let's try this again. Anybody seen an Avengers movie? Show of hands. All right. Anybody see Avengers Endgame? All right. Avengers Endgame is the last in a long series of, I don't know, it's 20-some-odd films. It's a story arc that starts with Iron Man and ends with Iron Man. In the final climactic scene of Avengers Endgame, Robert Downey Jr., who's playing Tony Stark, Iron Man, he gets hold of Infinity Stones. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just stick with me for a second. Snaps his fingers and makes everything right. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, the movie made like a billion dollars worldwide. I'm not sure what to tell you. (laughs) He snaps his fingers. And in doing so, he not just makes everything right in the world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it also kills him. Spoiler alert. I, I don't know what to say. If you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, he's dying and his wife and partner, Pepper Potts, kneels down beside him and says, as he takes his last breath, you can rest now. See, our culture sees rest as something you can only do at the end of your rope, even as you are dying. Okay, now you can rest. But rest is creational, built into the rhythm of creation. And because we so often resist it, God also commanded it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Rest is built into creation and commanded in the Ten Commandments. And so refusing rest isn't just unhealthy, isn't just a resistance against how we were created. It's also sin. At the beginning of this past week, I was at a conference in Phoenix for a bunch of university administrators, who, most of whom direct programs like I direct at PBA. 
And in one of the breakout sessions, one of these directors who has one of the longest standing programs like this program that I direct was standing up and he was talking about how he creates sustainable community among the students who are enrolled in his program. And he said, I do this and I do that. And he names off thing after thing after thing. And I was sitting there, a director of a program like this myself, and thinking, how? So when he finished his presentation, my hand shot up. I said, Eddie, how many hours a week do you work? He sort of lowered his head and shook his head and tried to deflect and not answer the question. And I've been around Providencia too long, so I pushed him a little bit. How many hours, Eddie? He said, up until a few weeks ago, it was regularly 110. I said, yeah. What happened a few weeks ago? I resigned as the full-time men's and women's tennis coach. This guy had been directing a program, doing all these things he'd been naming off, and also coaching tennis at this university for the men's and women's teams. He allowed himself graciously to get a little bit vulnerable. He started breaking down a bit further. He said, a few weeks ago when I had to make that decision, I realized that my work rhythm had become sinful. I thought, this guy admitting this in front of a breakout session of mostly Christian educators, but still... Our resistance and refusal to rest requires confession and repentance. It requires a change, a transformation, especially from the busyness that has infected our 21st century American culture. If you turn to your neighbor right now and ask, are you too busy? Think we'd have a vast majority of yes answers. There are too many of us in this crowd who nodded their heads in resonance with a guy who's working 110 hours a week. When I find people who can genuinely say they're not too busy, I want to ask, what is your secret? because I'm too busy. But rest isn't just about resisting and rejecting a busyness culture. It's about finding the right center and living in that center who is Jesus Christ. Come all you who are weary and burdened. Jesus bids us come to him for rest. So rest is creational, commanded, and Christ-centered. But the end of that beautiful passage in Matthew 11 helps us to see that rest is not idleness. It is not the absence of work. It's not even freedom from burden. 
It's having the right burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Being yoked to Jesus means being united with him and pulling in his direction. We rest so that we are centered in Christ and so that our work, the things that we do, are directed toward his abundant life. And not toward wearing out or burning out or even death. When we rest in Jesus, we actually end up with more to give. We become more generous. And when we're yoked with Jesus, we come to recognize the interconnectedness of those who are also resting in Jesus. As it turns out, we never rest alone. We come to Jesus for rest, and so we rest with Jesus, but we also rest with all those who rest in him. So rest is creational, commanded, Christ-centered, and communal. When we rest, we acknowledge our dependence on God as creatures. We're obedient to God's law. We're united with God's Son and sent on God's mission as part of God's family. All this is the rest that Jesus offers. Rest opens up space for all of this. I was searching all week for an image of what this looks like for me. Writing that poem that I read earlier was cathartic in a way, but it just showed me how unrested I can be. I thought about the image of burning the candle at both ends, which is an appropriate image, especially because pastors are one of several professions over the past few years that has seen an inordinate amount of burnout. People walking away from their vocation because they just can't anymore. But that image isn't quite resonant for me. Maybe it is for you. Maybe you feel like the flames are about to close in. And I get that. Jesus' call to rest is for the burned out, certainly. But the image that came to mind for me is the image of a knot tied in a rope. Maybe double knotted or even triple knotted, but it's being pulled at both ends. Or maybe even pulled in several different directions and the cords of the rope are being stretched to their limit. And the space within the knot is being squeezed shut. At some point it will break. And when that happens, you no longer have a rope. But only frayed ends and a knot that's not holding anything together. 
But the rest Jesus calls us to hands the ends of that rope over to him and he lets some slack in. Suddenly the knot breathes. Space begins to open up between the cords. We can start to see light through the space. A little bit of light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and burned out and tied too tightly, and I will give you rest. Let us pray. Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit providenciawpb.org and click on the Give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, and have a blessed day.